0: guys welcome back to steps to sobriety our new name or the old name really because that's how we started off originally uh in between into the light a different life story uh was about how we how i really felt is what we're doing in this in this show we're bringing Really, we de- demystify mental health, and we bringing the topics out into the open, so breaking taboos and actually talking about them, and it's so beautiful and refreshing. The problem is with the title, a different life story, that couldn't mean anything. So people can't really find us. So we are going back to Steps to Sobriety, and. The show doesn't change. I continue to bring on fantastic guests. And indeed, today is another day for a fantastic guest. Uh, I've got Bobby Hedglin-Taylor with me. Now, I met Bobby by accident, literally, because I was looking for Amazon and suddenly saw his book and thought, I need to read that book now, I have to have it. And um, a little trigger warning here, as with all of my interviews, sometimes tears can come, sometimes emotions can well off. In this particular case, the trigger warning might be because at any given moment in time, we might use the word shit, fuck in any permutation in the english language there it will be talk about flowers and bugs but not in the way that you think we will discuss the importance of trimming your vaginal hair even regardless of your age and we will certainly talk about making your uh, your son blush and giving him the most embarrassing moments that you possibly can think about. So we are talking about a wonderful lady, which is Bobby's mom, and he has written a book about her and the the, the things that she said, shit my mom said, and it's a fantastic read. So I'm so dead excited to have Bobby here on my show. Welcome to my show. Oh,
1: thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh god and you're making me blush already thinking about
0: some of the quotes <laughs> well that's all right, that's all right. <laughs> she Bring me some that, she had
1: she had that way oh, she, she, well there's that um you know who leslie jordan is um american actor yep. he has a quote and he says my mother can she can push my buttons because she installed them uh-huh. <laughs> so like, yeah nice okay.
0: spot Bingo. on yeah mom can
1: push buttons
0: Mm -hmm. so and this is an amazing book but it's a book written out of a very dark time of your life um and it is a book about dementia and it is a celebration of life and for that it, it gave me goosebumps because i saw how you created this legacy of the way you wanted to remember your mom and that is such a beautiful thing to do. Uh, but I want to let you talk, that, talk about this journey and let you introduce the listener to, to the background of this book. Tell us a sure. bit about that.
1: Um, well, mom moved in with me uh, about six years ago. And she was, no, she was living with my brother before then. And then before that, um, alone in Pennsylvania. My father died uh, in the early 90s. So she had been alone for quite a while. Um, so she moved in with us and now I'm here and I don't know what to do with an elderly relative because it was just kind of, she's here now. Um, so she lived with me for a while and, um, she eventually needed to be put into a nursing home. Her dementia had gotten bad. She was not, she she wasn't as healthy as she could have been. So during that time period that I was trying to cope with trying to care for her, trying, even when she was in the nursing home, I was there every day. Um I am a mama's boy. I'm always going to be a mama's boy. Um, but the way to cope with the 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 uh, pe- anticipatory grief of loss was I would take my mother's pithy sayings and I would put them on the internet under the hashtag shit my mama says. And I used the hashtag because I thought, you know, that it it came to me it was like that's my mom, that's my mama. And, um, so people would just die laughing at some of them. So I just kept doing it every time I would visit her, she would tell me a story, you know, or she would have, she would come up with something or she'd call me and leave a message on my voicemail. And, um, you know, and she had nicknames for body parts and, you know, so there, there are things that she would talk about. And, uh, you know, so I would know what she wanted, what she needed. Um, so after the, after, um, uh, after five six years of being in the nursing home, she started to get sick around February twenty twenty, and she was going back and forth to the emergency room from the uh, uh, from the nursing home. So I would go with her and I would sit with her. And she, sometimes in the nursing in the emergency rooms in New York City, you're waiting for sometimes as long as twenty four hours, eighteen hours one day, where I'm just sitting there. But, but she had dementia; she didn't know where she was sometimes. So she would fall asleep and wake up. And where am I? And I'm like, mom, you're in the hospital. It's okay. I'm right here. And so she would wake up when she would wake, she would just start to tell me stories. So there were stories about my childhood, my first words, how I was conceived on a beaver dam. Thank you, mom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So, so I, would, I, and, and in my head, I was like, this, I, this is comedy gold. I am addicted. If there's an addiction that I have today, it's to laughter and it's to laughter because an audience is laughing at something I said or did, and if there's an, if there's anything that is probably the one of the things to be addicted to, or at least have a safe a relationship with the, the addiction uh, of, is laughter. Uh, and so I I started compiling them, and then um, Mom passed of COVID uh, early on in the pandemic in March of 2020. The day after we had finished her um, funeral arrangements, I woke up with 104 fever headache, and I had COVID. So it definitely was uh, the darkest part of the pandemic for me, because not only did I just lose my mother, but I could lose my own life. And um, through the course of the pandemic, I lost a total of six relatives, my mom included, and then uh, 17 friends worldwide. And um, so that amount of loss was compiled, and I had no access to therapy. So I threw myself into writing, and I started writing my first book, which is a cookbook, which is not published yet. um, Because I threw all my energy into that, because those were the stories that mom was telling me. But then, Facebook gives you this lovely thing where it reminds you your your post from a year ago, and it said you posted shit my mama says on this day. And I said, oh my god, I need to compile these. And it was the day of anniversary of her death, and so I got them all thrown into one place, and I started to edit it down, and then I just spoke. I spoke her story on my cell phone. I, I auto-dictated it. Now, remember, if you do write on auto-dictation, it has a sense of humor. It would change different things. A friend of mine calls it auto because <laughs> it, just, it just magically changes the words. Uh-huh. So make sure you know what you're saying and edit it down before you send it to yourself. Um, so then I, the book was done on, her, on the day of her death. And it was, it, then it then it began the process of editing down and I started to trim it and started to make each one of the quotes a little bit more uh, readable and, and translatable. Some of them I had to eliminate because no one would ever get the joke. But between mom and I, there were some that were just like our, our inside jokes. Um, but being the son of an Italian-American, there's a lot of profanity that my mother used in the nursing home. Um, she would get in trouble for, for calling people, uh, uh, names and things like that. You know, like one of the quotes, she, she was sitting at the, at the table and it was Christmas and she looked over at this patient. She said, you're a castrating bitch. Merry Christmas. (laughs) So, So I'm like, okay, mom. So all those little pithy sayings, I just have found, put them in one place and I started to laugh and laughter was healing. And I, I, when you laugh, you're breathing and I also find out that when I, I I do stand up too. So when I do my first joke or my first line and the audience start, you get that laugh, the audience has just taken a breath. So they're relaxing. They're cool with me. And then I go into my set. I go into what I'm talking about, but that was mom's gift to me. And, you know, being a mama's boy, I, you know, I learned so much from her and from my grandmother as well. They both had a mouth like a truck driver. So, um, I would, I, 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 I definitely have both of them in the cookbook, but this was special for Mom. And what I wanted more than anything was to have one of the books because we weren't able to have a funeral for my mother either. Um, at the time she passed, mm-hmm. they weren't transporting bodies across state lines, uh, so we had to have her cremated. And it took six weeks to get the ashes back because they were backed up. And um, so I wanted my book to go into her ash vault. And so I didn't tell anybody. And uh, at the um, at the memorial service was two weeks ago. And at the memorial service, I buried my mom in her purse because she was always looking for her keys, her purse, nail polish, and she always asked me to get her lipstick that wasn't red because she didn't want to look like a putana. And so I tucked all of that into the purse with my book hidden underneath it. So I'm the only one who knew. I was the only one who knew it was in there, because it wasn't a you know my book isn't about. My mother's funeral and also that was a memorial service for six people not just my mom and uh so um i wanted i wanted her if if in a hundred years somebody breaks open that vault and finds my book they'll know who this woman was and um, and they'll have a, hopefully they'll have the their humor is still the same at that point <laughs> so <laughs> So that's how it came about, and uh, it's 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 an amazing journey for me. It's a small book, it's a short book, but it is filled. One the the my favorite review from Amazon so far is it's the little book with a big heart, and that's and that and I and and that is my gift, giving the the gift of humor, to anybody who's dealing with dementia who's struggling at this time, and you want something silly to laugh at, even if it's ten minutes of your day, my mom will make you laugh.
0: And it is a really quick read, because it is it is setting the scene. and then there are these beautiful quotes that are coming out. And I love it for the legacy that you have created for her. And that is so many people have passed away without their story being told, without their the truth being said. And that is a very, very sad thing, especially right now with Covid. Millions and millions of elderly folks have passed away and these stories have stopped. Therefore, I so hope that others will, will take the, the the strength to actually collate these stories and and be guided by you as an example to say, hell shit if he can do that. Hmm, I'm in lockdown. I'm not a writer. Exactly. I'm not
1: a writer, not an editor, not a chef, but wrote. <laughs> A book of quotes and a cookbook. Here you go. You, you, any goal that you set for yourself is worth following through. It's worth following through no matter what. And um, I think that a lot of people, and myself included, I started and stopped so many different projects um, over the years. And this one, though, I had a date set where I knew I needed to have a copy of this book in my hand. Um, and like I was I was sharing with you in our pre-interview, um, I really believe in creative visualization. And especially if you're writing a book, create your cover first and look at makeup and go to the mock-ups mm, mm. And, and then feel in your hands what mm. that, you know, imagine what it feels like to hold that book in your hands. Mm. And when I did that, that's when I really feel like my soul connected with it and really made every deadline happen made every edit happen mm. and I was surrounded by great people. So I, I definitely, you know, I didn't do it alone. Mm. And, you know, there's a, there's a laundry list of, of people in the back of this little book because, you know, the, the book is full of love. It's got a big heart, but it came from a lot of different people to make it happen. And mm. I, you know, I can't say thank you enough to those people as well. Um, you know, support is very important. Even if you have a best friend, mm and you love spending time with them, they may not be the best support network for you. Hmm. Sometimes it comes from people that you don't expect. Hmm. And sometimes it's just somebody saying, wow, you actually did this during the worst global pandemic you made hmm. art happen. And hmm. I was like, yes, because I knew in my heart that it needs to be, the story needs to be told because it's being people are being forgotten. Like you were saying, there are, you know, in my 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 mother's two sisters were also um we we uh interred their ashes as well um my my mother's eldest sister died in two thousand and fourteen but we never uh, interred her ashes and then her other sister died of covid a few months after she did so we basically put to bed and put to rest an entire generation my mother's three my mother and her two sisters and they' they are and my father has been been gone since ni- the nineties but My my uncle Jack and Uncle Bob they you know they they were still part of that that was a whole generation of people that I was connected to and now they're gone so I encouraged everybody that was speaking at the group memorial that we had two weeks ago to um, to include humor because one of the best things and the best memory best ways to remember anybody is when, when they took you to Great Adventure, the, the, the theme park, and they went on the roller coaster and peed themselves. You know, you want those crazy stories to come up and you want to give people a chance to chuckle because it's such a sad occasion. And, I, and that's what I wanted to do. I, my Aunt Jenny is my mother's great aunt. She was there mm-hmm. and she's the last of my great, my grandmother's youngest sister was my, my great Aunt Jenny and um so she's the last of that generation as well but she was there and i got to and i got to see her i got to hug her i got to say hi and uh sent her a book as well because she didn't even know that the book was out and um but that that whole generation they all came out of they all went through world war ii they went through the korean war they went through vietnam um their parents survived some of them some of their parents survived world war one I know my my grandfather on my father's side was in World War One, and um, so there's a lot of history that they had and that they were telling. That is hmm. now we don't we you know it, it's gone with them. <clears throat> so with my mom, she was a simple lady, but she made people laugh, and it was my it was her coping mechanism. And this is we had stand up comedy in our house nonstop. From the 1970s on, because they came out on vinyl, so my mother had them on eight track. She had them on vinyl, and she would she'd play them on repeat. And it was just like she knew how to land a joke. And I always thought, oh my god, that's my mother. Oh my god, that's my mother. And then here I am, you know, basically going to the family business of stand up is some, you know, stand up and entertainment, you know, uh-huh. because that was the way my mother coped with stressful situations is making people laugh. And so that's the way I got through it as well. And I didn't realize any of that until I wrote this book because I was, I was sitting here going, wait a minute. When there's stressful situations, what do I do? I crack a joke because it immediately brings everybody down. brings, ha, ah, you take that breath. And laughter is healing. And when you're talking about vaginas, it's healing.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Regardless if you like them or not. Okay. It, it yeah. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I they, think they,
1: they they have a wonderful purpose in this world.
0: <laughs> <Touché>. <laughs> no Touché. matter how
1: neat you keep them. Apparently, as my mother, some of the some of the some of the the body part um, humor that my mother had was. Um, kind of honest and off the cuff. And I'm just glad it translates. Like you're in New Zealand. My mom is this <laughs>
0: Italian American
1: from Jersey City. You know,
0: and, and her
1: humor still translates. And oh, she's now is. in more countries than she's ever visited.
0: Her uh. words
1: are in the UK. Her words are in Canada. Her words are in New Zealand. Her words are in Australia. Because I've done podcasts in those areas and people have bought the book there. <laughs> and they get it you know and if you watch mrs brown's boys in, yeah, exactly uh, oh my in, god yeah. that's my mom in the Arr, irish film, you know? excellent so, excellent so.
0: And, but that is quite interesting and 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 how oh, do i lead to the next point the i know already from our preamble that your relationship with your mom was not so great uh in the past and that, whilst you are now focusing on this beautiful, uh, lovely, quirky side of her, there was quite a dark side to her as well. And I found it—I found your journey amazing because of that, because you were able to jump over your own shadow and somehow deal with your own emotions, with your own abandonment, with your own uh, need for, you know grief from those periods and yet you took your mom in um when it was time for her um to need help now that speaks a lot about you but it must have been rather difficult I mean how did you deal with those those memories that
1: it was, were it quite was right? really tough at the at the very beginning I mean I had um After my father passed, my mom and I went through another tumultuous time period where we didn't speak very much, and um, that that was a a good a good break so we could see each other as two different. We see each other as people, not mother and son. Um, Like I was saying in the pre-interview, you know, this is not the woman that I grew up with. You know, this is a woman, an older woman trying to get into heaven is the way that I look at it. And, um, you know, so um, she had a very violent temper. She was physically abusive, sometimes verbally. Um, she was not very supportive in the, of the arts or anything like that. In my younger years, I had to really fight to move to New York and become an become an artist, become an actor, to become a dancer, become a singer. Um, all the you know, like I, in a in a previous podcast, I was called the multi hyphenated artist, and I said I'm going to use that because you're going to exactly. make it here, you're going to make it anywhere in New York City. That's our saying. And um, <laughs> nowadays, where where no matter where you go, you have to be able to be multi hyphenated to make a living, just to make sure that when the government shuts down everything and you can't go to work how do you make a living? How do you, how do you feed your family? Mm. You know, how can we use this virtual screen to, um, to, to reach other people? So that became, uh, a challenge. And so, um, in healing and from each of those really difficult moments, I realized that my mother didn't come with an instruction manual and that when I was born, I didn't come with an instruction manual. And back when I was born, there wasn't—you were, you were, your instincts were all you had, and you know, you or you watched Bewitched and Donna Reed, and all of a sudden, you're you're the ideal mother, Um, but that didn't always translate. And also, you know, there's a difference between the way that you grow up and how you, your journey with your parents. Your parents are. They're there to give you the, 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 the tools to be able to start your life, um, not not use their tools to keep you trapped, which is what my mother and father were doing. They wanted me to get married, have kids, you know, just get a crappy job and live in, you know, Pennsylvania. And now granted, it's beautiful. Pennsylvania is a wonderful place to grow up. But I needed more. I always needed more. I always wanted more. And I was not afraid to go get it. And I knew that I had to fight because I moved here with $35 in my pocket and uh, a full scholarship to an acting school. And my mother and father did not take me to, did not drop me off. My dance teacher did. I was on scholarship at the dance school in my town because they needed boys and they needed boys who could do ballroom dancing. So I was like, I'll learn it. And um, then I got a full scholarship to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy and I had $35 left in my bank account, and my dance teacher came to my house. We filled up her station wagon. She drove me to New York and moved me into my dorm. And ever since then, I've been on my own. You know, It took a while for my mother to realize. My mother said, oh, you'll be back in a month. And a month went by, and I came home for a visit to get more things to bring back to New York. And um, then I knew, I knew it was, that was, that was it. I, this is my home. This is what I want to do. I want to be in the arts. This is where it is for me. Um, So I had to really heal and I had to really see her as a human, a flawed human. We're both flawed humans, but when, when she needed me, that was a totally different thing because I was all of a sudden now her caregiver. I was her. I was her spot on. That was my responsibility. Even in the book, we my mom and I did shots of of uh, uh, Fireball the first night she came to to, to New York. Um, she stayed with my cousin Lynn in New Jersey, and we you know we did shots. And I said, "We're going to get through this," and we did. Um, you know, it's hard when people have dementia because it's a slow moving oh. disease. Alzheimer's works very differently because Alzheimer's attacks a different part of the brain from what I understand. And um, dementia, Alzheimer's, you look at a set of keys, you don't know what the keys are. Dementia, you can't remember which key opens what lock. Um, Things like that. It's like just general memory loss. And she would repeat herself a lot. So I noticed those signs really early on. Um, And it wasn't until she almost set my cousin's house on fire by putting carrots in the microwave um, and she thought it was three minutes. It was actually 35 minutes and then there's smoke and you know, these carrots are on fire. And so we realized that it was time, but she had been passed around to different relatives at that time too, because I live on the third floor of a walk-up, and she was using a walker at the time. So it was very difficult for her to come to me. So she stayed with different cousins. And even though that, you know, that still was I'm grateful that my cousins were able to do that. After about a year of that, it was like, there's no more cousins. You've got to come home to me. You're going to have to, you are going to have to go up the stairs. I'm going to help you up the stairs. I'm going to help you down the stairs. And we're going to go for walks every day. We would go for walks every day. And then it got to the point where she was not able to care for herself. I would, I would be able to make her breakfast and leave it in the fridge. She would put it in the microwave and she would have food until I came home from work. And then, um, then it was, she would forget and wouldn't eat until I got home. And then um, she had a pulmonary embolism at one point and the ambulance had to come and get her and take her to the hospital. And that's when I knew, because I was sleeping in a chair next to the couch because I didn't have a guest bedroom. She was on the couch. Every single night I was sleeping on that chair because if she got up to go to the bathroom, she would fall. So I would get up with her Walk her to the bathroom, make sure she you know, and people don't realize that there's there's something humanizing about caring for the elderly. Um, you know, they talk about diapers a lot. You're gonna be changing diapers, it's your mom. You're gonna be dressing her, it's your mom. It's you're gonna be showering her, it's your mom. She did the same thing for me when I was a toddler. You know what? Um, even though we had our differences and there were some scary times, I had to be I had to come full circle and be at peace with that, that I was gonna care for her no matter what. And when you allow yourself that opportunity to forgive yourself for, and forgive her for what happened. Because also, like I said, I didn't come with an instruction manual. She didn't come with an instruction manual. So we had to learn how to be mother and son again. And we had, and then the, the tables always turn at that point too, because then you're the adult, you have to sign the papers for her. You have to make the decisions for her. And, um, you know, I'm like, no mom, you can't have, you know, you can't have more, uh, uh, tums because they won't let me bring tums into the uh, the the nursing home and no you can't have scissors um, they don't allow you to have scissors <laughs> you know so, so so she's like can't you bring me a razor I need to cut my the, the whiskers on my chin so I would I got her a little battery operated thing so and she, then I would I, that was my ritual I would visit her once a week now we're Italian we have a lot of facial hair even the women so I would trim her trim her facial hair you know but that became a ritual and it's you know, it, as sad as death is, I wanted her passing not to be sad, and I wanted her me- my memory of her not to be sad and not to be traumatic because death is traumatic no matter what happens and no matter how that person leaves you. Um, and um, I was prepared for her passing, but I didn't. We didn't know she was that sick because she was bouncing back. Every time she went to the ER, she would come back to the nursing home. A day later, she'd be fine and she'd be back to normal. And no one, I thought we had more time. I really did. And then when it was, you know, when you get that, no one expects that phone call uh, in the morning. And then I was, it was a Saturday morning and I was like, well, what do I do? You know? So you, you're, you're flooded with all these emotions. Um, But after that time period had, had passed a little bit and I was starting to feel better. Um, I uh, ironically, I was vague booking on Facebook. I didn't tell anybody I was sick. It took me almost a month to tell my boss that I was sick um, and even though we were having zoom meetings every Monday, I would get on zoom and be as focused as possible, take notes and try to you know try to do what work I could but then I finally just had to say, listen I have COVID and I'm sick. I've been sick for a month. Mm. Um, but during that time period, I was vague booking. I didn't tell anybody, but my friend Phoenix noticed that she's like, I know your mom just passed, but something else is up. What's wrong? And I messaged her back and I said, yes, I have COVID. And she said, what's your mailing address? I gave her my mailing address. Day or two later, a box arrives and it's filled with these herbal remedies from a farm state. And they're you know, all different. It looked like a witch's brew, honestly. From like you know, you see like witchy poo in the in the seventies, you know, in the, the 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 Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know, a cup of parsley, you know. So, mm-hmm. But I started, and within three days, no fever, no headache. I started to be able to breathe easier. I started to be able to be able to walk further mm-hmm. than the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, whether or not my the virus had passed through my system or not, those herbal remedies did something to my immune system to kick it into gear because i would have, it, but i felt better after that mm. um so that was our journey and when you go back that far yeah and the part of my the, the 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 cookbook is actually from that time period of living with my grandmother my grandmother's a very was a very sicilian woman so spending every day with a little tiny sicilian Learning how to cook, learning how to sew, learning how to make pasta fresh on the kitchen table every day. Um, you know all of her sauces, all of her desserts. Um, she used to make a great cheesecake too. So I heard you have a cheesecake <laughs> book, and I'm sure you. I will, I'll have to dig up her recipe too.
0: Um,
1: but uh, you know that that time period is devoted to the whole family from Ravioli Mountain. Mm. Now. To explain ravioli mountain briefly um the the cookbook is called escape to ravioli mountain a memoir in food my grandmother was the eldest of 13 children her father and and her husband my grandfather and great-grandfather bought plots of land on the top of a mountain in pennsylvania my grandmother's other brothers and sisters settled around great-grandpa so there was this like settlement Almost it was like the, it was like the Plymouth Rock of, of Pennsylvania, but from Sicily. And um, so it got the derogatory nickname Ravioli Mountain because everyone was Italian and everyone was related. So I said, I'm gonna spin that." And I went back and I dug up my most favorite memories because not every memory was, was, was pleasant, but there were so many funny stories. And funny things that mom was telling me during that time period. So that's why I started writing the cookbook first, and then it wasn't until a year of after mom's death that I switched gears right away. And I was like, I want, I need to get mom's book out. That that book has to happen. And it, maybe it was divine intervention. Maybe it was her just, uh, you know, say saying, "Don't forget me." Um, but uh, but yeah, I had to put out of file a lot of that pain and um and just understand that yeah uh it was there it happened and yet I found a way to navigate it just like everything else and I was able to embrace her again I was able to bring her back into my life again as a different person because she wasn't definitely wasn't the person I grew up with and that made that made it easier for sure
0: how did you why did you not hit the bottle? Why did you not try to escape reality?
1: Good question. Um, there's there's so there's so many different st- strategies that people take with addiction, and when it when it comes to alcohol, um, you know, I I also I was a bartender at one time. Mm. I so in between jobs, I knew how to bartend. But this particular time period, I knew that no matter what I did, if it was drugs, alcohol, whatever it was, if I did anything more than aspirin, that it was going to plummet, my, my, that my spirit was going to plummet, my well-being, my, because I knew the effect. Mm. And I knew that if I did go there, I wouldn't be able to get back out. And that was the hardest part because it's like, I mean, you, there are universally, there are different ways that people deal with addiction. Like I said, my new addiction is laughter. And the the first time I stepped out on stage, um, now this is, um, I did a variety show and the guy before me was the host and he did um, uh, a cool juggling act with brandy snifters filled with alcohol. So one dropped on the floor. So, uh, you know, he, so they clean it up and he's like, sorry, Bobby. And I walk out and I go, smells like home. And then the audience lost it, laughed hysterically. And I was like, okay, I d- I don't know where that came from. It was just like, <laughs> this joke just came out of nowhere. I was like, smells yeah. like home. Thanks. <laughs> you know, I'm used to liquor soaked floors. Um, but, uh, the audience, just like you did. Audience took a breath, they laughed, and they immediately <laughs> knew, Oh, okay, this is gonna be funny. Good. Because some comics come out and you're sit there and you're like, This guy's not even breathing. He's he's just working way too hard. Hmm. And I find that I get the biggest <clears throat> laughs when I don't have to work that hard. And um, and again, I I mix my set with singing. So I do singing impressions. So when people hear the different voices that I do in the songs, they that Again, you don't expect to hear Eartha Kit come out of my mouth, but Eartha Kit's in there. And then, you know, the different characters that pop up, Carol Channing and things like that, they all, they, they, in, the, in the song, gives the audience permission to laugh. And then when you have them, that, there's nothing more addictive to that. And then you don't get a hangover from that the next day. You don't regret it the next day. And I knew that I needed to focus on something that was creative, that was not going to take me down Mm. a path because there's a liquor store around the corner. I could have done that. I know where to get weed. I know where to get other drugs just because I live in New York and we, we have, you know, we have access to everything. Um, uh, there, there's, um, the, Mm. the ultimate, the ultimate thing that did that that my brain clicked was Um, if, if I, you know, if you, if you get drunk during a pandemic, you're still going to be waking up in the same place. Mm. You're just going to be hungover. Mm. You're going to have a headache. You're going to be miserable. And then, you know, all your serotonin gets depleted. So then you're depressed for four Mm. days. Mm. So why, why pro, why do that? And I, I just, something just snapped, just clicked. And it was like, no, we're not going down that road. And I was, and I said, I'm just going to, and I even, even during the pandemic, I did stand up on Zoom. I did a voiceover on Zoom. I did a puppet show on Zoom where I voiced one of the puppets um, and then uh, hosted a fashion show as the voice of Joan Rivers. Um, And people paid me for that as well. I'm also an officiant. So I officiated six weddings throughout the pandemic. That was another thing that's in my multi-hyphenated title. Uh, I was able to do that. I was able to share the joy of bringing people together on mm-hmm. Zoom for their wedding, and then I did some some weddings in person with masks in the park. Some were very small attendance, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, you have to make sure that you are honest with yourself from mm-hmm. the moment any negativity sets in. And I am of the mindset, now there's um, Jerry Mitchell, he's a famous Broadway director, he, choreographer here in the United States. Um, Jerry has a quote and the quote is, dreams do not have an expiration date. And I that just sank in when I heard it. And it was just, I got to work with him a couple times and he's just this wonderful, Loving, beautiful, you know, person, and in my head, every day, dreams don't have an expiration date. Doesn't mean that you can't do X, Y, and Z. Doesn't mean you can't have a book. Doesn't mean you can't have a bestseller. It's not a best. Well, okay, now on Amazon, um, I got up to number thirteen in one of the categories mm. for sale. Now my book's only been published a month, so I, 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 you know, maybe there's a few hundred books out there right now, but. The categories that they give you, you can be a bestseller in one of those categories. So you, you know, with aging relatives, I think I was number thirteen in the top top one hundred. So I realistically, I could be, you know, this could be a bestseller. I, it was never the reason for it. I knew what it was going into it. I knew what both projects were going into it. Um, Some people call them a vanity project, but I call it just it's just a love project Mm -hmm. to me. Um, I needed to get this art out of my head. Mm-hmm. And then, then once it's out, then I'll go on to the next piece of art. But these two pieces had to be finished. Um, I also work in the circus world and I work on Broadway as a sequence designer. What does that mean? I was a former trapeze artist. So I mm-hmm. train acrobats to do different things on, on the stage that tell the story. So my, my quote for what I do is, midair is my canvas and the human body is my paintbrush. So I get to draw pictures mm. with people, um, but it also has to tell the story. It has to turn the page. Um, so when you're doing stuff like that, it's still artistic. It's still art. Um, but during pandemic, there was no theater. Nobody has a trapeze in their living room. And if they do, it would be very cautious. Um, but um, but uh, so that's why I decided to write. And that's why I decided to throw myself into it, no matter how bad it sounded, no matter how bad some of, I cut so many things out of both books so far already, just because I just didn't think it was either funny or would translate. And, you know, it's hard because you see the vision of the, you know, I was like, but that happened. My mom and I had that, you know, that, that exchange, but the audience may not get it. So just from, you know, from, from really sharing it with different people and then having it edited down. Um, I, I had to really focus on what was going to translate with somebody who did not know me or my mom. Mm. Um, but that so was, true. that was, that was how I stayed away from that particular. I didn't want to go into that box because I knew that that mm. was just leading down a dark pathway and I just can't go there.
0: Have you been there in the past?
1: Um, dark night of the soul, many times. Hmm. Um, I think that there is a, uh, a divide between I'm just going to have a cocktail and okay. I'm going to be hammered by 5am mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. st- stagger home and then not remember where I was. Um, so there were many times where that was that had happened. And I kind of knew what that, I knew what that avenue was. The scariest time was I was, I was, I left my job bartending after a shift. I went to a bar and had three drinks there, met up with some friends, went to another bar, had three more there, and then went to another bar. And then I, I became conscious but I was walking, so I didn't know where I had been, but the sun was coming up. Um, I, had, uh, I had made, I think, $150 that night in tips. And so I had, still most of my money was in my wallet. But now, in, in comparison to distance, the, the bar where I was was on the east side of Manhattan. And I lived on the east side of Manhattan. So I lived close to the bars. But when I opened up my backpack, by the, when I got home at like 7 or 8 a.m., having been out all night, not knowing where I was, not remembering where I was, there was in my backpack a receipt and a can of beets from a supermarket literally three miles from where the bar was. Now, why? I decided to travel and <laughs> I don't know why beets either but I had a can of beets I still have that can of beets believe it or not and I remember Uh-oh. it I remember it like yesterday because I never want to be that I never wanted to be that far gone ever that I don't remember where I was the night before and Mm -hmm. that I have a, and all I have to show for is a can of beets and a (laughs) receipt, you know? And, and, and the funny part was, is I was like, that's miles away. Like I either took a cab Mm -hmm. and I don't, I, I still to this day don't remember, but still have the can of beets. It's almost 30 years old, but I still have the can of beets. (laughs) Um, And I think that, just knowing what that feels like and what that fear that set in as to what did I do? Where was mm. I? Who was I with? You know, did I do anything sexual with somebody? You know, at that point, that was the late 80s, early 90s. Mm. Could could I have contracted something? You know, what what did I do? And that that mm. there's that empty now, praise God. Thank you, mm. Buddha, Jesus, anybody else up there? Madonna, um, mm. Beyonce, um, you know, <laughs> who ever, was who's ever looking out for me at that point? No, I didn't have an STD. I didn't get anything. Mm. But I, I just, you know, that mm. fear set in like, oh my God, what the fuck mm. did you just do? Mm. And it wasn't until a good friend of mine, I was telling him and I was laughing. I was like, oh my God, it was the funnest, funniest thing. And I got home and it was a can of beets. And he was like, yeah. And you don't remember where you were? You don't remember what you did? And I was like, he said, I can't relate to that. He said, because that's too scary. Because if I have to relate to that, that means that I'm out of control. And then I was like, oh, he just checked me. <laughs> you know, the like, light went off. And, and then you, 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 you navigate how you navigate. And I feel like there's different levels to the way that people approach sobriety and the way that people um, are able to um, still maintain a regular lifestyle without without the the worries of addiction, um, I I think though that we're there's no divide. It's one or the other. And but you really just have to find out what your breaking point is. And you know when when that was brought up to me that you could have dot dot dot, you could have done dot dot dot. You were three miles away from your house. You either walked. I had to walk because I I mean, I didn't lose any cash in my pocket, so I must mm-hmm. have walked. Um, so in those lost hours, what did you do? And you put yourself in a very dangerous mm-hmm. situation because, hello, I live in New York City. Mm-hmm. People get shot on the street. People get mugged. And um, so that, that was how. Mm-hmm. And I, I rem- And I remember... I had one one emotional breakdown after mom passed. And it was quick. I got it out. I cried for a good hour. I felt better. And then it and then it was just like okay, back to I'm sick. I need to heal. And I and I I just remember when her ashes finally came, I was like, I'm going to have to compartmentalize this. I'm not, I'm going to have to deal with this because I could die. And so I put her ashes in a cupboard in the living room and left them there. Didn't look at them for the entire year Mm. that she was Mm. gone. And I didn't look at them until a week before the memorial service. I had never opened the box. And when I finally did, I was, I was um, not emotional, I was actually sort of like overwhelmed with calm and I was just like this is not my mom this is not not even like anything like what my mom was this is just a remnants of the shell that held her spirit that's all it was and that was when I started to be a little bit more aware of mm-hmm. you know she's gone but she's living on through my words and through my books
0: which is beautiful it's i'm so pleased for you that that this time around you did not fall back onto the the self destructive coping mechanisms that that the past was uh, that you had done in the past mm-hmm. and i certainly i i certainly lost my mum at a time when i was still drinking and similar to you, I had her living close to me due to a number of, of health problems. But I by no means could see the positive side of things. Whenever I tried, there was something else coming back at me. And it was actually a very painful, painful journey, and to a degree that I knew she would be coming across from for from, from her house to mine for lunch. uh, on a Sunday and I basically I would start drinking wine at 10 and would be hammered by the time she arrived here because that was the only way I could deal with her Um, so I had such different different ways of coping brutal ways and and I wouldn't even call, call it coping escaping reality that was that was what I did and it is it was what it was um, there was the trauma of my youth. There was there was the personality disorder of my mum. nothing was ever easy, and I there is as far as the two of our stories are so similar. Here at that point, they divide dramatically because you were able to actually see through the risks and dangers that that the alcohol was was was. Uh, uh, posing for you because you this could have been going very very pear-shaped i'm so pleased for you i'm so fucking pleased for you that you had that insight that you had that that ability that you had the emotional maturity of actually saying "Now, been there done that got the vomit on the t-shirt no um this time i'm not going there this would be what what happened today with me. That certainly would have not happened 10 years ago. And I'm so pleased for you that, that you were able to heal yourself by writing this book and sent yourself on a journey of self-discovery, of reminiscence, of, of remembering, of laughter. Uh, what was important to her what was so what it is so important to you and basically see the whole full circle uh with laughter coming there and actually gives me goosebumps um so it's it's really really pleased uh really really i'm i'm really pleased that you were able to do that and man what a story and ultimately what a beautiful message out there how important laughter is in reconciling whatever has happened in our lives and about your choice. You had the choice of either focusing on the bad times or focusing on the really crazy shit that your mama said and that was your choice and look where it got you. So we all have these choices. We all can look at whatever happens to our life and we can focus on the negative things. That's your choice. Or you can focus on on something positive, something different. You can ask yourself, why me? Why has it happened to me? And guess what? Your brain will come up with 20 good reasons why it has happened to you. Right? (laughs) Don't think that gets you very far. Or you could say, wow, how can I make sense out of all that? What does that really mean for me going into the future? what how can I can I leave a legacy in this particular setting and I I could not imagine actually a better a better uh, style than these two books the crap that your mom said (laughs) and the skills that she imparted on you as far as the cooking is concerned yeah and so uh, what more therapeutic than you make your own pasta? Are you still making your own pasta from now and then at oh, all? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
1: absolutely. I just, I just ordered um, uh, because I'm editing the, the cookbook now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I realized that after the, the, the title is escape to ravioli mountain yeah. and i didn't put my grandmother's ravioli recipe in there oh that's so not... <laughs> i'm like oh my god because that was like you know that's that's still one of our our uh, one of my favorite things my grandmother used to make um but be, uh but i so i actually ordered a um uh, a ravioli press um so that's uh, coming this week and I'm going to be making yes. those ravioli. And yes.
0: And stuff, so.
1: <laughs> but I did want to one of the things I wanted to mention too this is really important is that fear is crippling. And I think that when people fear something that's when they make the decision to medicate. Fear stands for false energy appearing real. And whenever I would have a fear come into my mind I would say no that's that's not real. And and focus on the reality of what I was about to do. Um, 80% of success is showing up and show up for yourself is also included in that.
0: Absolutely. So that
1: really was the that was the that was that was the trick. Um, and there's different there's different levels to sobriety. There are people that are so No, I don't no judgment, but there are people that are that are so thrown into the 12-step programs and they are so on it and they are that that becomes their life. And then there are people that you know use that or they'll use therapy or they'll use a different way to change their their levels of sobriety. And whatever level you whatever level you're at, wherever you are, doesn't mean that it's wrong. But a lot of the fear that I used to hear in the rooms was, was what was keeping them there. Mm. And that was the one thing that I was like, I, I, I need to address that in my head because I need to make sure that the fear is not running me. I'm running the fear. Mm. And if I'm running the fear, I know how to turn it off. And I turn it off many different ways, but not, but not doing it, not doing anything chemically. Um, it's just changing your reality, um, often really makes a big difference in, um, you know, how you look at things. Like I said, I know what my books are. I know that they can be considered vanity projects, but they came from a place of love. And I, if you know, the two movies, Moonstruck and A Christmas Story, Mm -hmm. If those two movies had a baby, it would be my cookbook, because <laughs> it's the Italian Americans <laughs> and the ridiculous way that you grow up, and, and and there are a lot of there are a lot of stories that surround Christmas because that uh. was a very important time. Uh. Um, like my first words were "fucking reindeer," mm. and that's one of the first recipes. Uh, the Christmas cookies was my story about my first words. So you know, so, so I, I I I try to make sure that. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. Nobody's figured everything out, and no matter where you are, Mm -hmm. you're you're going to you're going to navigate your way through. Mm -hmm. But setting goals that are attainable and that are achievable, but also not to beat beat yourself up. Those were the things that I kept doing. Nobody knows how to beat myself up more than me, and nobody knows how how to insult my body and myself more than me. Um, And your subconscious listens to you. So the more you keep saying different things about yourself, the more it will believe them. And uh, Mm. that's why I really, really had to do a 360 and completely change my focus, especially when we're being bombarded with negativity, we're being bombarded with confusion. Politically, there was craziness going on in this country. I don't know mm. how we got through what we got through um, to the point where we are right now, which is mm. still a little sketchy, but it was, it was a very, very difficult time. And, mm. and there were a lot of ways that things could have gone awry, mm. but I really I chose, I chose to laugh and I chose to laugh every day. And that was my mom's message. And I think that that's the most important part. No matter you're talking about diapers, talking about your vagina, talking about poop, talking about getting the shits from chocolate cake, no matter what it was, it made me laugh. <laughs> and the more that I thought about how ridiculous it sounded, I was like, "This the hurt like she could be she could be a sitcom character right now." Like there's there's you know a sitcom waiting to be born with my mother as the catalyst. Uh, because, you know, like what could be funny, you know, like look at the Golden Girls. I'm sure. You Absolutely. Guys
0: Absolutely. Girls. Exactly. The
1: Golden Girls is more popular today than they were in the 80s. They're the most ha, watched ha, re- ha, rerun really? because no, really? anything old ladies say about sex is always funny. And so like and my mom and some oh, one of the reviews this is one of my favorites. Um, uh, this woman said this this fantastic woman is like Sophia Petrillo on steroids. And so I was like, that was my mom. That was her. She was that Sicilian little, that little firehouse, a little firecracker. And she didn't care. She gave no fucks. She gave two shits. And that that was it. She would say what was on her mind and she knew she would get a laugh. And she knew that she could, and and she knew she could affect an entire room of people by to make them laugh. And she did that up until midnight she died. So
0: what a beautiful legacy yeah show us the book it is i know you've got it you have got it there that's my
1: partner (laughs) sneaking in (laughs) that's absolutely fine so david just
0: don't hide him don't hide him (laughs) no
1: no he's over here now Um, but this is the book shit my mama says and
0: it is is beautiful uh, yeah there's guys Go get it out there. Uh, it is, look down there into the description of the YouTube show and of the podcast. You got the link down there. So it is It is a beautiful, beautiful book. And uh, Bobby, what a great interview. Um, you really made me rethink my own attitude with regards to my own grief. You made me laugh. You made me chuckle about about things that I wouldn't have never chuckled uh, about before this interview. so what more could I possibly wish for than 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 that outcome from an interview? We need to we we have got the choice every second to make a decision. We can choose what we think. You allowed me today to rethink how I look on my own back on my own life and what I consider my memories, what I consider my background, my story, etc. You have given me the choice that I can reframe certain things in my life and can look at them differently. And that's powerful. That is my choice right now, in consequence in, in response to what you've taught me. And for that, I'm bloody grateful. And I hope you've touched as many other people out there and and gave them hope in, in maybe some very dark times. Because that's what this show is all about. That is, we, we both have gone through shitty times. But here we are, sharing our passion, sharing our, our feelings, being honest. And with that, hopefully, we are the little candles of of light in the darkness and you are doing that with your your comedy and may you go forever and be that that cool dude out there who makes people laugh and therefore lets them open up holds them the mirror in front of their face and and actually lets them lets them laugh but also think huh okay and I can't wait for your next book to come out. Uh, rest assured, and it need will some- be uh,
1: "Escape to Ravioli Mountain." Yeah, <laughs> this exactly. is like like I said, you need to you need to visualize and hold it. Um, Thanksgiving Day is my goal.
0: Oh this, yes, uh, launched. And- but I'm getting really pissed off if there's not a cheesecake uh, recipe in there. <laughs> the, <Okay. laughs>
1: the grandma's cheesecake will be in there. Um, Excellent. Uh, there, there's a couple of things about the 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 book as well. There are there are alcohol recipes, and there are recipes with oh. alcohol. But I always include an alternative. I right. also include like my mojito is a fojito. <laughs> Um I also have um different variations for people who don't have have different dietary needs.
0: So the
1: bolognese, if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, you can make you can still make my grandmother's bolognese
0: just tofu yeah exactly yeah, well
1: yeah so there's different options
0: oh, um nice. so
1: i just like you know for people who are hardcore and you know i just want you to know there are alcoholic beverages listed
0: um, uh, but i'm
1: not trying to get people to drink these are just the cocktail um recipes <laughs> that i that i know were big on the mountain cello, orange jello those kind of things that absolutely somebody, somebody would enjoy yeah. but there are ways to make the same flavor without the alcohol so
0: cool cool bobby thank you so much this was a fantastic interview um thank you so much i i really really appreciated your your candid uh insights your your the things that you that you shared with us uh fuck we went deep and that was cool i really really appreciate that you guys out there look after yourself look if bobby and i can get our shit together I think there is still a fair chance for you, <laughs> okay? So it is, you have got a choice right now. To, you have just listened to us for an hour. Hopefully, you you took something away that, for example, you really want to press that subscribe button down there. So that is a really cool thing to do. So press that subscribe button so that you don't, uh, don't miss some of the fantastic interviews that are coming up here. Uh, tell your friends about some cool uh, ravioli mountain cookbook that is coming out and tell them about my show. Because what we want to do is we want to give hope. And what more heartwarming can there be than A, my show, B, ravioli? So, I mean, (laughs) it can only get better from here, is it not? (laughs) Cool. Uh, Bobby, look after yourself and you guys out there, stay strong. I believe in you. You can do that. Bye.
1: Bye. Thank you so much.